to another episode of the Cheeky Midweeky, where we are making strength and conditioning not boring anymore. And this episode, we have um, two doctors talking about something that a lot of strength coaches got to know more about. And we're talking about concussions, we're talking about brain health, and we're talking about how, as strength coaches, we can do our job in our lane. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to dive into how we're supposed to be diagnosing any of this, but just as strength coaches, like how we can do our part and fit in the high performance model. So uh, gentlemen, go ahead and introduce yourself to our members and then let's just dive into this bad boy. Yeah, so we're brothers uh, in central Iowa. Uh, we practice together. Uh, my name is Dr. Joe Tool, and this is my brother, Dr. Sam. Yep. Um, so like, let's, let's talk, you know, 10,000 foot view and then we can kind of dive in from it but concussions like let's start with okay why is it that sport coaches maybe if you're not in football hockey rugby the true collision sports need to understand that there's still a contact sport and like I remember we had James Frazier on the show um, and I'll link to that down below for any of our listeners but Frazier talked about for volleyball, there was like concussion mm-hmm. was one of the highest things that can hold people out. Like, just kind of talk about from a macro level why strength coaches need to be aware of this for their sports. Yeah, I would say uh, the reason why it's important is obviously there's become more of a, a focus on concussions in the last probably five to ten years. Um, but as with anything with any student athletes, it really takes a team approach from coaches, from athletic training staff, uh, medical staff, strength coaches, nutritional therapists. Uh, there, there's all kinds of impact that, that you can pick up uh, from, from just being around um, the athletes. And I would argue that strength coaches have some of the biggest influence in uh, in an athlete's life, they probably spend as much time as anybody, and so being able to um, to know that person and to uh, to be able to just speak into their life. Uh, a lot of times, athletes are really scared with concussions. Uh, whether it's what's the long-term effect, what is this going to hinder me from being on the field? Uh, I don't want people to know about it because then I might get held out. And so, as a strength coach. Uh, you have the opportunity to be able to, uh, as with any injury, be able to speak into that and, and help them to understand uh, not only what's going on, but then also what are times when you should take it seriously and, and maybe sit out for a little bit uh, so that you can actually fully recover. <clears throat> now, why is it that they're like, okay, that makes sense. As a strength coach, we understand them, but you know, I guess from a bigger global picture, how come kids aren't feeling comfortable to be able to talk about this? Like, how come, like, what is the, what is the barrier? What is the, the problem about just a kid being able to be like, hey, man, my head don't feel right. Like, how, how does that work? Well, I'll even, uh, one, of the, one of the reasons why we got into concussions, uh, and, and we can share that, just our background a little bit if you want. Sure, sure. Go, go um, let them know. Because uh, Dr. Sam had had a concussion in high school, mm-hmm. um, and that was kind of back in the the barbarian days when they didn't really talk you about can't it. See it, it's not an injury. Yeah, exactly. Well, and just to go into that a little bit, so playing football, playing middle linebacker, guys out on a swing pass, I read it, I'm going to light up the running back. Okay. Well, our free safety comes flying out of nowhere and just blindsides me, just mm-hmm. takes me out, and honestly, to this day, I don't remember any of it. The only thing I know about it is from watching the film. Okay, so anyway, um, got smoked by my own guy. Didn't see it coming. I bounced right back up. You know, looking at me, you would have had no clue anything happened. 
um, middle linebacker, defensive play caller, so I'm calling a lot of plays. Speaks to the uh, intelligence of my teammates that it took about five plays for them to be like, this dude's saying he's playing for the Tennessee Titans. Like, what is going on here? And he's not a Tennessee Titan guy. I'm not, not that level. <laughs> um, and I don't know if to this day they're just pulling my leg or if that's what I was actually saying, but I was saying some wacky stuff. But anyway, I was in for the next five plays, and I was in on the tackle all five plays. So from a motor standpoint, I was functioning great. You know, you would have had no clue that anything happened. I was doing my job. Um, and so finally, they, they call the trainer over, and it's like, hey, he's not right. He's saying some wacky stuff. You need to check him out. And so they did, they did the evaluation, and, um, you know, I didn't remember anything until the next morning. And so, um, you know, there was that level of impact cognitively that I was just completely, completely out of it. And so um, took away my helmet, and I guess apparently I kept trying to run back into the game. Like, as soon as the defense was on the field, it was like, I knew I was supposed to be out there, so give me my helmet, I'm going back out there. Um, and so there's a lot of ways that that can happen without any awareness from the outside just observing and looking at a player that you may see that. So it's really important to understand the, the full scope of concussions, and we'll talk about some of the phenotypes and you know, various different types of concussions. Um, but being aware of your, uh, of your players and what's happening um, to be able to do that. So anyway, the whole reason I got into it is experiencing that concussion. Um, and then fast forward, you know, I was starting to notice um, – you know, motor control issues. I was starting to notice personality changes. I was starting to notice just irritability and memory issues and stuff like that. And so once I started seeing the personality changes, the memory function, all that kind of stuff really go down the drain, that's when I started taking it seriously and getting kind of afraid because, again, that was right at the point that, you know, all this stuff with CTE and all that stuff was starting to come out with NFL and with Junior Seau and a lot of that stuff happening at that time. That's when, for me, it's like, okay, I need to take this seriously because I'm seeing this happen in myself. Um, and then fast forward a couple months later, playing basketball, ended up having a major cerebellar concussion, led to me blowing out my knee twice. You know, blew it out, had surgery, rehabbed, came back and played within that first week of being returned to play, blew it out again. You know, and so all that came back to cerebellar um, decompensation and, and the concussions that I had had the, the prior season in football. So he said a lot in there that takes a lot to unpack. Um, yeah, so, um, so, so that's, that's kind of, he kind of had that personal story with the concussion. I had one as well, but that was more from an older brother choking me out and throwing me into the concrete floor. Um, that was at home, um, not necessarily through sports, but, uh, so, so we, we kind of grew up with, um, a, a childhood where it was a little competitive. There were eight boys in the family, so everything became a competition, uh, and, and so then I played football, got, got into coaching high school football right out of college. Uh, and then I've, through, through the years uh, after graduating um, with doctorate and everything, uh, still, still into coaching. And, uh, and it was just really frustrating to me seeing how this, your concussion was, what, 15, 16, 20 years ago maybe? Yeah. Um, and it really hasn't improved since then. And, uh, and kind of the, the wake up moment for me was one week, um, we had a, we, we were getting our, um, our injury report and on the injury report, uh, a team of 50 to 60 guys, uh, we had nine guys on the injury report with a suspected head or neck injury, which is code for concussion. Cause you don't actually put that on, on the injury report. And so I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, wow, man, we've got a lot of guys out with a suspected head, neck, concussion, and there's something wrong going on here. 
uh, and they're they're just not being managed well. And so that was kind of the wake up moment for me. So that's when we both uh, pursued our postdoctorate in clinical neuroscience, studying functional neurology. We really sought out okay. Who is actually treating concussions? Who's on the front lines of concussion rehab, uh, research, all that stuff? So then we, we sought out the Carrick Institute uh, out, of, uh, out of Cape Canaveral, Florida. So we, we did our postdoctorate. I just passed my neurology boards this last summer. Uh, Sam's going to take them here next year. So, uh, so that's, that's kind of where we are. And then through that, um, we're also a little bit of an idealist and, and like to, to question the, the norm. And, uh, and so in questioning that, um, all, all the talk right now is um, how do you get better at diagnosing a concussion, which is important. There's a lot that needs to be done there. Um, like Sam said, none of the players knew it. Even the trainer at that point didn't necessarily know. And even as, as recent as five, six years ago when I was on the coaching staff, it was still suspected head or neck injury. And there was not really a good diagnosis. So that's important. Uh, but then also, um, we, we asked the question, okay, so, so talking about sports injuries like his ACL that, that he had after his concussion, uh, th there's a lot of emerging research showing there are uh, musculoskeletal injuries post-concussion, a, a significant impact uh, on musculoskeletal injuries, especially lower extremity. Uh, and so, so looking at that, uh, we're also looking in with strength and training, uh, performance training, they're introducing a lot of um, preventive types of, of therapies and exercises into the performance training, um, such as Nordic hamstring curls with, with hamstring tears, things like that, where, where they're finding there's benefits to training uh, to reduce musculoskeletal injuries. That, that's why a strength and conditioning staff is, is incredibly valuable from not just getting guys on the field, but keeping them on the field. And so, 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 so with that, then we started to take that into the, the brain and the neurology paradigm and say, okay, is there a way that you can actually reduce your risk for concussion? And, and so that's when we started seeking out, are, are there any, any providers, any training staffs that are doing that? And, uh, and so we got connected with Dr. Joe Clark out of the University of Cincinnati, and they've been int introducing some, some neurovisual training and, and various uh, aspects that are, are showing a huge uh, improvement in reduced uh, rates of concussion. So um, they're, they're averaging about 20% of the rest of NCAA. Um, as a, as a baseline on concussion. So, um, so, so the, and that's been through several years. Uh, I believe it's been about 11 years now that they've been doing that. Uh, and then one year they bumped back up to baseline uh, because they had cut the training program out and they introduced it back in, dropped back down. So, so it's showing some really good case studies that they're, they're publishing uh, with that. And, and now it's starting to be introduced into, uh, into some of the professional levels. Some colleges are starting to pick it up when we were training with Dr. Clark. Uh, I know uh, some of the NFL teams had training staff there, uh, some of their strength and conditioning as well as athletic training medical staff. So, uh, so it's, it's something that is on the verge of, okay, we need, we see that this is the need, but at this point it's mostly done at that ultra high level. Uh, you have to earn your stripes. And then once you get there, then now you have access to this elite care. Um, and, and, and how many of these high school kids, like, like this guy that 
you know, he's out playing Friday night football and he never, he never has a chance to get to that level because, because of, of the injury he sustained, the, the future injuries with his ACL, all of those things. So, so that's kind of what our focus is, is how can we bring this from this elite level and try to bring it to the masses, to the kids that, that are uh, day in and day out injuring themselves and don't know the long-term ramifications of that. All right. So how do you do that? Like if you mean you just definitely probe the question, right? Like as a researcher, you have to be able to identify, okay, what's the reason for it? Gaps and gaps in research. Like how do you go about educating coaches that are also professors or they're teachers or they're doing other things and athletic trainers? Like I, I just, uh, the episode that's getting released this week, um, my goodness, with uh, Stephen Yorkman. So he's the director uh, of strength and conditioning at a high school in Maryland. So it's like there's just one of him. There's maybe one or two athletic trainers. Like how do you do a good job educating the masses on this issue that does, like you just said, brain injuries can result in lower body injuries. How do we help these kids out? I, I, think, I think a big piece of that is getting the strength and conditioning staff involved. Uh, I find coaches, uh, administrators can be a little more hesitant to introduce new concepts in. I found strength and conditioning staff typically uh, is a little bit more forward thinking. And, and so they're able to, to speak into things a little bit more. And, and, and they also have a pretty good BS meter a lot of times. Um, at least some of us do. I mean, at least some, yeah. Other, other people, other strength coaches, you might be part of the BS problem with some of the things. Sure, right. Well, and part of that might just be boards across their back and <laughs> Yeah, there's some pretty brutal stuff that still happens, but I, I think a lot of that might even come just to survival of okay, if if uh, if I want to actually make this work, then I can't push too hard, and I just kind of have to be part of the system, yeah. and and not push but but if, if there's a genuine curiosity I, I, I find that is typically more in the training side of things than in the medical side mm -hmm. okay yeah so and to get into specifics um, you know I, I think it's it's that curiosity piece right as strength and conditioning you have to have the curiosity as the coaches you have to be wanting to be on the edge and looking into what's new what's out there you know and, and a, platform like this and you know other ones that are putting this stuff out there are very integral to beginning that conversation of like okay here's what we suspect is happening let's start talking about it let's figure out a does it pass the smell test does it seem like it would work and then let's start looking into this let's start um trying it out getting in with players and you know as, as we're working on this stuff how can we be a resource to coaches as they're looking at developing this to where okay directing towards research here's the research that backs us up you know that they've been doing out at cincinnati here's um you know here's just some of the avenues that we can help with this and that's really part of what we want to do and and as uh, joe said is bringing this to the masses bringing this into high schools and starting to to work with kids at that level and instead of waiting for it to trickle down from the elite level you know because that happens slowly how do we get this from a grassroots type um, foundation and get it in with high schools get it in with coaches and as kids are coming up through high schools you know through some elite programs training in this stuff now they have that expectation of you know i had this in high school why is it not happening at the college level and and starting to build it even from that so i, I think there's some of this organic conversation that platforms like this and and others where that conversation has to start and has to start happening 
so that there can be awareness around it and then the curiosity to push that, that development forward. How do you handle that being an early adopter in something that might have some pushback? Uh, hard head. Like, just kind of an idiot, and it's like, this is what needs to be done. We grew up on a farm in Midwest, right? So, so farmers are just, you know what, we're just going to put the work in. It doesn't matter how hard it is, we're just going to do it. Uh, and so kind of that, that's the mentality that we have to have with this is, you know, there's, we know it's going to be a hard fight. It's going to be, be a battle. Um, but, but if you're just transparent and honest and authentic about it, uh, and then, and then you're just willing to put the time in, beat the bushes, get out, talk to, to parents, talk to coaches, uh, do whatever it takes. That's, that's really what we are doing is like, okay. Um, anytime talk, talk about early adopting anytime that there's something is discovered in the research realm in the academic realm there's a what is it 10 to 20 year lag time between actual adoption into clinical practice right. i mean like it's as soon wrong, as it, but there has to be that dichotomy to filter through the bullshit though right like, yes Yes, correct. And that's where there's different ways that you can filter it. You can filter it through longevity, and then you can also filter it through adopting and saying, is this actually working? Are we getting results with this? And um, and, and so that's that's where um, so the initial data is out there. Uh, and then even just anecdotally, we when we first um, we first introduced this into a, a local small co private college here here in, in Des Moines and um, so, so we did that last summer. We we went and we took their their soccer teams through it, and first game they were they were on the road playing against another school, uh, and and we got this feedback from the coach. He said um, one of the girls took a, a hit in the head from the soccer ball, and the trainer from the other team that was providing the care ran over, uh, started assessing her and everything, and and told the coach every single time that he's seen a player get hit like this, they they've sustained a concussion. And the player jumped up and was able to go forward and no issues like it, it took through all the testing and and nothing there so so it's we're seeing it there we're seeing it played out uh again university of cincinnati's been doing it for 15 years 10 15 years so so it's not that it's uh that it's um against science it's not that it's really far out there the the process is that they're uh, adapting into the performance model has been used on the rehab side for years but now it's just taking it and instead of asking the question um, how can we rehab somebody it's how can we get them stronger better processing information faster protecting themselves so there's less risk for injury for our listeners out there that might be wondering what are the different types of concussions because we have some young we have some aspiring coaches, established, and head coaches, and you know, so maybe a refresher for the established and the heads. But for anybody that's, you know, an aspiring coach, what are the different types, and what can they essentially do about it? Yeah, so so there's a, a couple different types of head injuries. So so you have uh, like you, you have mild traumatic brain injury, which a concussion would fall into that category. And then you have moderate and severe uh, that would be more like blast victims, uh, more military sustaining or um, severe impacts. Uh, so, so in sports setting, for the most part, you're talking about a mild traumatic or MTBI uh, or concussion is kind of a subset of an MTBI. Um, but, but then when it comes to that, then there's, there's seven different phenotypes of concussion. So, uh, so with that, um, kind of the acronym is COACH-CV. C-O-A-C-H-C-V. 
And, uh, and so the different phenotypes are, uh, it could have cognitive function, it could have ocular motor or eye control, uh, it could be affective, mood, um, behavior, things like that. Uh, it could be cervical, so related into the, the neck and the spine, which I want to come back to in a second. Um, and then the H stands for headaches, C stands for cardiovascular, and V is uh, for vestibular. And so, yeah, yeah. So, so that's where that's where even when you're looking at from a rehab standpoint, you want to look at okay, not just uh, did you have a concussion? Now you sit around and do nothing for a couple of weeks, and then now you can go back to play because you don't have a headache anymore. Well, you might still have cardiovascular issues. You autonomic function where you can't shift your your fueling resources where you need them to be in your body, and so or it might be a cognitive like Sam had more of a cognitive. Uh, aspect and then a little bit of the effect where where his mood and behavior change so so that's where dr drilling down from a diagnostic standpoint of not just did you sustain a concussion but what type of concussion so that then we can actually be targeted with our rehab how do you so, do that then? so for our listeners out there like okay cool I, I I work with football and they had this type of severity like what are the things that they need to be then doing to to be helping their athletes quick break from the show to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button. It helps us out and it helps you be notified when we have new content get released. So again, please hit that like and subscribe button if you enjoy this content. And with that, let's get back to the show. Yeah. So, uh, so, so if it's a, if it's a provider, I would highly recommend looking into getting some training from the Carrick Institute. They're, they're starting to to do not just um, fellowship level training, but they are starting to do uh, some boot camps and things like that, just to help with so basic foundational level. With a K, how do you spell it? Uh, C A R R I C K. C A R R I C K. Yeah. So the Carrick Institute, and Dr. Carrick was. Uh, on on the concussion advisory council for the nhl and um he's an adjunct professor at harvard and cambridge um he's on the medical staff at you're, not, you're not not smart if you're working at harvard. <laughs> yeah right yeah like like you said just letting anybody in the door like eh, go ahead well they let us in so i don't know but <laughs> But uh, yeah, so 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 as a provider, I'd recommend looking into that as a resource. Phenomenal, on the cutting edge of of clinical neuroscience. Um, as, as like as a strength and conditioning, they do have some some uh, for kind of that level. Uh, and then and then for patients, I, I would recommend looking into uh, a Carrick trained doc, um, and and uh, and or finding somebody that actually understands concussions, and and then also. As a patient, you have to be your own advocate. And a lot of times the, uh, they're told, when you have a concussion, your athletic trainers, they're at the, they, they reach the end of their uh, scope of practice by saying, you need to see another provider. They're not gonna be the provider for you after, after they, they rule you out and say, um, okay, you need to get this taken care of, then we can return you to play. They're involved in that, but they're not going to do a lot of the intense diagnosis and rehab and things like that for most people. Now, at certain levels, maybe. Um, so, so being your own advocate, meaning if they say, go see your family doc, and you go to your family doc and they, they say, well, just go sleep for a week, stay off your phone, and then, uh, then we'll see if you have no more headaches, and then you can go play. If that's the answer you get and it doesn't sound right to you as a parent or as a patient, find another answer. That, that's, that's not an acceptable answer. So, uh, so many of our patients, I, I try to tell, 
if I say something that doesn't sound right, question me on it. Go go to another doctor or somebody and 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 do some research on it. Don't just take my opinion, and don't do that for any healthcare provider. Yep. And just to add a little clarity to that, you know, when you're say you have a suspected concussion or a trainer has diagnosed you with concussion, now you need to go get care. If you're going to a practitioner that is saying or that is only focused on symptoms, that's the wrong thing to focus on. Okay, because symptoms are going to get better over time most of the time. Okay, it doesn't mean that functionally you're back to where you need to be. So now you may still have functional deficits, even though headaches have gone away and you feel better. But if you go back and play with those functional deficits still there, that's where your increase of a follow up injury, second impact, um, lower extremity issue, all of those things come into play is because you've never fixed the functional deficit. And that's, I think, more of what we're saying and what we've seen in our experiences. Oftentimes, um, people are going and seeking care of just a, a, their general medical practitioner. And oftentimes, they don't have a, an in-depth enough understanding of concussion phenotypes and how that's affecting them that they just fall back on symptom-based care. As soon as you feel better, go back and play. And so what we're trying to do is actually assess the functionality and saying, okay, are you back to a good functional baseline? where not only are you safe to return to play, but now you don't have an increased risk of re-injury and, and down the road complications of that. So what would you guys then say? Like, all right, pretend, pretend uh, I got hit in the head. Like, I, I like to kickbox, I haven't done it in a while, I sparred. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I was slightly concussed at the end of some of those sparring sessions on a Wednesday <laughs> and a Thursday. And my sparring buddy, uh, the owner and head coach, Jesse, um, you know, he would he would make jokes too, like, "Oh yeah, my my head's concussed." Like, I mean, we were running with our cones overhead, and like, I remember the cone like barely touching my head. I'm like, "Fuck, that hurts." Um, so, any like somebody gets a hit hit in the head, what are the things that you're immediately re recommending to people? Like, hey, is it the whole let them sleep, let them not sleep? Because it's there's conflicting literature out there about that. So, what do you guys say right away? Yeah, so there, there is slightly conflicting literature. The, the best literature now is starting to say, let them sleep. Uh, the, the reason why you wouldn't let somebody sleep is concern for uh, severe uh, response. So um, primarily death uh, is, is really right the most severe you can get. Um, and that's, that's kind of the concern. And as of now, for the most part, that uh, uh, let me step back. If somebody is projectile vomiting, that means you're laying on the floor, you vomit, and it hits the ceiling. If, if somebody's doing that kind of vomiting, that's a severe issue. That's, a, that's an intracranial bleed. Um, your, your body is trying to decrease pressure in the head. So if that's an issue, um, if that's happening, it's, you're going to know it's happening. Okay? That, that's not something that it's like, I wonder if. You're going to know that. Um, if that's the case, go right to the emergency room. Don't pass go. Record, Don't collect your money. Just go. That was not happening with me nor anybody. Like, and I feel like most schools, they're starting to, to preach that message of, hey, let the kids sleep because at least <laughs> where I worked, um, I feel like most athletic departments are doing, you know, concussion awareness and that does seem to be the the growing trend of like hey the kids like let them sleep you don't have to wake them up every hour and check on them yeah and the reason for that is a concussion really is a metabolic cascade a, a neuro neurotransmitter metabolic cascade and sleep is highly important in clearing out waste products from the brain when when you actually when you sleep your brain actually shrinks by about 20 percent 
And so, so that opens up pathways for, for the brain to start clearing metabolic waste products. So, so in the strength and conditioning world, you're familiar with metabolic waste like lactic acid buildup, things like that. In the brain, it's more tau proteins, beta amyloid proteins, things like that, which are markers for Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, neurodegenerative aging type things. Um, but, but when you sleep, your brain is actually able to start clearing out some of that metabolic waste. And so, so that's why uh, it's starting to show it's probably better to let the brain sleep and rest, uh, at, at, at least in that initial 24 to 72 hour time frame. In that acute time frame, um, you want to rest, uh, avoid any, um, any irritating, triggering types of activities, bright light, uh, electronics, those kinds of things where, where it can really create um, a, a strain on the, the system as far as uh, trying to adapt to all the sensory input. That's crazy that the brain shrinks by 20. Like, how did they study that? How was that done just in a lab and like? Uh, probably through fMRI. I'm trying, I'm, uh, I'm trying yeah. to remember back. Uh, but I'm guessing that like that's for sure something I'm gonna link that down in the show notes everybody but like that's definitely something that I'm super interested in now yeah sleep sleep is honestly the probably the single greatest influence in recovery and health in general uh you're preaching to the converted here especially most of our uh our listeners being strength coaches like now they'll at least recommend it they might not do it for themselves like I'm the opposite I'm I I preach it and I did it um, for my athletes and I knew how important it was for my own mental health and for my own like struggles with any other, you know, anxiety, depression. Um, we've had uh, another strength coach, Mike Wadango, talk about how important sleep was. Like he was having a ton of anxiety and problems and, and called a doctor and they were like, uh, go, like, I think he said it was take a Benadryl, like took a Benadryl, like sleep it off or not for nothing. And then woke up in the morning and was like, I feel so much better. Like, uh -huh. Yeah, and there, there's a lot of a lot of benefits in those those initial days of of allowing yourself to sleep, uh, and then there's some nutritional components that, that can play in as well. Um, that uh, I, I'm not a nutrition expert; that's not our area of expertise. But um, but there there is a pretty significant impact. Um, again, if it's a metabolic cascade, the the health of your metabolism, including your nutritional components, does play into that. So. Um, uh, uh, we have a, we have a lot of um, focus on inflammatory diets versus in, anti-inflammatory diets. Um, Omega threes actually are really really beneficial. Um, we utilize those quite a bit in, in that acute phase. Uh, vitamin D vitamin D is uh, pro hormone, not a vitamin, and it regulates over a thousand different genes, including a lot for muscle expression. Um, so so there's a lot with vitamin D as well. Um, most of just the basic core nutrition, uh, avoiding a lot of inflammatory seed oil, uh, like, like processed food type things um, that can create that inflammatory process as your body's trying to regulate the inflammation and you're introducing a lot of extra inflammatory markers. Um, that, that's not good. And, and there's, there's actually a really strong correlation between um, concussions and, and um, leaky gut syndrome. Uh, and then, and then leaky gut syndrome is also related in with leaky blood brain barrier. So, so they kind of interact a lot together. So, uh, so there's, there's some nutritional advice initially as well as, as then, yeah, just rest, let the brain, uh, recover from the insult. How important is neck strength in preventing, you know, these concussions or doing any of the different training programs that you guys have? Because to our listeners out there, I've been to their clinic, um, and 
and have you know toured around for about an hour, hour and a half, talking shop with them, and that's you know how this episode came out because I thought there was value for me and I wanted to share the value for everybody else. So like neck strength, any of the different tools and tasks that you guys had there at the clinic, like just, just share that stuff for, for our listeners out there too. Yeah. So a couple of pieces on that, um, kind of the, the number one predictive value of whether you get a concussion, like any injury is whether you've had a previous concussion. Okay. Right behind that is neck strength. Okay, and there's two components to neck strength is one is actually looking at the, the muscular structure. How do we increase muscular tone and um, tension and creating um, a stronger neck? And then right behind or, you know, with that is then the neurological control. How fast and how quickly are you able to process something coming at you, a hit coming at you and be able to engage the, the neck musculature? Right, because it doesn't matter how strong the muscles are, if they're not actually activating and engaging, you take that hit, you take that whiplash mechanism injury, and now you have the, the concussion happening, the contra coup injury, um, that kind of stuff. And so, yes, you absolutely want to, to work into your program, you know, strengthening the neck, strengthening the muscle, increasing muscle size, tone, all that. But then I would say, and from our standpoint, more importantly, is how fast can you process what's coming at you so that you can react to it? You know, and as Joe mentioned, you know, the, the kind of anecdotal evidence of that college soccer player taking a hit, she was able to see that, react to it, and properly respond to that so that she could sustain a hit like that without actually sustaining a concussion, okay? And that's one of the big things that we look at um, is the neurovisual training, okay? So how well do you train the eyes to be able to stay focused on a target? How well do you train it to be able to track a target through space? And how well do you increase peripheral vision and then processing within that peripheral vision? Okay. Can you say that again for everybody again, the, the three real quick? Yep, so it's retinal retention, being able to stay focused on your primary target, eye tracking, being able to track an object through space, and that may be with the eyes or with the eyes and the neck combined, and then the last one is increasing peripheral vision, the actual you know, peripheral vision that we can see, and then being able to process what's happening out there while being able to stay focused um, on our target. Because every time we blink, we're blind. Every time we move our eyes, we're blind. You know, so if I'm looking from target A, you know, playing soccer, I have to track the ball, now I have to track my player, or football. Passes coming in as a receiver, I have to track the ball coming into me, I have to also then see where the hit's coming from. So you're moving your eyes, okay? Well, what happened if you can track that ball and with your peripheral vision being able to say, here's where the hit's coming from mm. and being able to brace for it. So now not only are you securing the ball, are you securing the catch, but you're also being able to brace for that hit coming so that you don't get blindsided and take that whiplash injury. So that's really where, when you're talking about neck strength, yes, you gotta do training, you gotta strengthen the muscle, but more importantly, you have to train the eyes. You have to be able to see the hit coming so that you can brace for it and have the proper reaction to, to that response, you know, as, as we're talking um, in, in relation to concussion and concussion prevention. And so that's really the, the approach that we try to take is trying to in, increase or improve those three aspects of eye control so that we can avoid or be able to respond and absorb those hits without getting the whiplash and the, the ensuing concussion that goes along with that. Would you say that that's the more detrimental, worst part about it is the whiplash effect, or is it just the true traumatic? Like, which is worse, for lack of a better term? Um, 
it, it depends. There's a lot of variety to that. Um, a lot of it is involved in force vectors. So which direction is the force coming from and how fast? Um, the, the worst hits are actually angular. So so if I'm kind of rotated and it kind of comes at an angle versus a straight head on. Just sideways, does it um, more rotational. So, so think about it this way. You got a water or a towel soaked in water. How do you get the most water out? You wring it out because you're increasing, you're introducing the most force to that. If you just squeeze it, yeah, exactly. compression force itself, maybe not, but like if you squeeze and twist. Yes, and that's what's happening to the to the neurons within the brain when you, like you said, when you have a rotational component along with the hit. Now you're getting that shearing and that ringing force in through the the brain and through the neurons. That's going to have a much more profound impact. You know, and just hearing us talk right now, I'm like, okay, hey, like, you, you know, anybody that was listening, or for me personally, like, I could hear you talk about it and kind of like pretend see the brain doing all of that. Like, how do you battle people that are hearing any of this and being like, you're going to make people not want to play football, these dangerous sports? Like, it, are you afraid of that? Have you heard any of that? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, yes. So that's that's kind of back to like my why of why we're actually pursuing this. Why? we went to what is it now almost five extra years of school after our doctorate to learn all of this it's like i i just finished up my 25th grade so so i'm great yeah you went to high school you went through the regular schooling twice and then yeah. a little bit and now a little bit yeah so i'm, I'm 13 years post high school um and and why i i'm, I'm not an academic i'm not a uh, like that kind of guy. I, I can vouch for that. He's not very intelligent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a nerd. Is what I'm trying to say. He says it differently, but, um, but uh, so 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 the, the reason why is, for me, football had a huge, profound impact in my life. Um, I actually didn't start playing football until my sophomore year of high school, and uh, and but it was through playing football uh, that I really started to develop this love for how the human body works. And, and after my sophomore year, I got beat up pretty heavy on the scout team. Um, this punk little kid that thought he could jump in, and, and these varsity players are just Let's smashing me. Yeah, exactly. So, so I went to the library, and I checked out all of, the, all of the anatomy books that I could. I checked out all of the strength training books. Uh, I checked out all the stuff that I could. I was in the weight room all the time, I, and I was just fascinated by how this this works and and then that's what led me into I I almost went into athletic training after high school and then kind of um, the road kind of took me a different route but and it, I've ended up here uh, where I'm kind of doing the same thing just at a higher level and uh, and so so it's worked out for me but but it all started because of the decision to go out for football my sophomore year and and so I find a huge value not just in um, learning about the physical aspect of the human body, things like that. But, but also my confidence grew through that. My discipline grew through that. My ability to relate to people and the social aspect. I mean, there's just so many things. Football has, has a di unique aspect to it that a lot of other sports don't have. The physicality of it, you have to push yourself. It's not an easy sport. Not that any sport is easy, but, but there's, there's just an aspect for football that's like pulls on my heart. And and, and I've talked to so many kids and parents in the last several years that have that have made the decision we're not going to go out for football because of our we're, we're scared of concussions, and 
and I don't want that for people. And and that's where looking back in the early 90s, uh, ACL tears were a death sentence. You were done. ACL, you get an ACL tear, your 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 career is over. And now it's you know what you you may be you may be limited, but you know it might it's probably only for a short time. Our rehab and our our surgical techniques and everything are so strong now that it, it's it's an afterthought. Nobody ever thinks I shouldn't play a sport because of an ACL tear. That used to be the case 20, 25 years ago. Well, that's kind of where we are with concussions. Is I don't want to play concussion because of the risk for X, Y, Z. And, and you've got all these documentaries that are coming out and this fear of the unknown that's coming. And that's where, again, coming back to the prior part of our conversation, that's where educating people on, yes, concussions are a serious deal, but they're not something to be scared of. It shouldn't be something that limits you from living life because let's face it, life is, is short. There's, there's, um, it's a vapor and then it's gone. And, and we have so much to offer as we live our life. And so, uh, so not living out of fear, but living out of, okay, something might happen, but if I have the right resources and the tools, uh, then, then we can actually enjoy and grow and learn. So that's again that's really the the heart behind why we're doing what we're doing is we want kids to experience what we experience with football i mean sam sam yes he had a concussion through it and he had some issues but he doesn't have those issues now mm -hmm. i mean we we've been able even a decade past we've been able to rehab him from that and, and get his brain actually starting to work a little bit now still still debatable but <laughs> the brotherly love of shooting yeah. at each other I talked with you guys about my theory in, in person, but for, for all our listeners out there, I have this like low, this theory of low level impact to the brain, giving it some said principles with proper recovery is somewhat beneficial for the ability to handle. If you did get like that girl that took the ball off the head, like had she been low levelly exposed to it before with, uh, you know, had she got hit in practice before, in addition to neck strengthening in the weight room and all the other training that is done and pairing it with a good nutrition and good sleep, like that could actually help keep you more resilient. To quote my cousin Vinny, does that hold water or is that just complete bullshit? Uh, so, so right now that's all philosophical is, is what I can say. I um, do that a lot. I have a lot of yep. philosophical right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of those smart guys, huh? Uh, again, I'll, I'll throw some shade at myself too. Like, I mean, who or just one of those guys that you can't pin down to an actual. This is it's what you a mean. Dangerous thought, and I'm like, I, I don't. You know, I'm sharing it to the world right now. But yep. Fuck. Yep. So I would say um, th there's not enough data to know. Correct. Um, that sounds about right. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm going to hedge my bet and say say that, but. Oh, well, um, but uh, kind of talking through it, so, so again, you, you have to, as you're dealing with things that are kind of novel and, and new and things like that, you, you, have to, you have to have a knowledge base to be able to process through it. Um, and and what, what I found, what we found is a, a lot of neurological rehab principles have a lot of similarity to musculoskeletal rehab principles. And musculoskeletal rehab principles have a lot of uh, similarities to uh, sports performance training principles, strength and conditioning training principles. It's just kind of at, it's it's more of this continuum, and where on the continuum are you? So so that's that's where kind of looking at things that way. 
there there is some consideration that more that low level repetitive injury might lead to CTE types of things. Okay, now. So, so there's some data kind of showing that, but how accurate is that? Again, that's um, there's there's a lot of uh, there, there's some research that's come out that has kind of debunked that a little bit. Uh, that CTE is not directly from low-level impacts uh, necessarily, uh, because there are some some individuals that are showing up with CTE uh, that have never played a contact sport, that have never played any sport. So, so there there are some cases of that popping up. So it's it's one of those where okay, there's not enough known about it from that standpoint. Um, now the caveat I think that's the biggest piece and the piece that we don't know nearly enough about to be able to make uh, a statement on that is what is proper recovery. And so, so we don't have the ability to measure the brain's functionality uh, well enough and the, the microstructures well enough to say, okay, you've done this amount of, of damage that um, that can create some some issues, and if you recover in this specific way, then you create a positive adaptation versus a negative adaptation. So, so that's where there's not enough known. Now, there is one difference between neural tissue and and more uh, muscular tissue. Is neural tissue when you rupture a neuron, it's cytotoxic to to the neighboring cells. So, so if, if you tear a muscle fiber, it's not going to create a knock-on effect to other muscle fibers directly. With a neuron, it will actually cause surrounding neurons to rupture when they get exposed to that, uh, that inflammatory process from the rupturing of, of a neuron. So, so that's where um, it, it, you can kind of make a case both ways, but not strong enough really to go either way. That's fair. I mean, I guess a lot of my, like, those are all just theories, but I mean, that's interesting. I had not heard about CTE from low level exposure. What was the population that had it without playing a sport? Taking a quick break from the show to talk to you guys about our sponsor, Team Builder. If you have any online training platform needs, Team Builder is the go-to place. Team Builder has the ability to integrate with velocity-based training tools. They have the ability to program and have notes and videos for all of your athletes and your clients. This is your number one stop shop. Been using it since 2019 when I was working at Towson. So I've used it, love it. Make sure you check it out. Go ahead, click the link down in the description. And with that, let's get back to the show. Uh, just uh, from, from the couple of cases that I saw, um, one I believe was a teenager, like a 17 year old in Canada. Um, and then uh, I'm trying to remember the other one was, I think like a 40, mid 40 year old, uh, just average Joe kind of a, a career worker. Within that, does um, I know a lot of our listeners out there that work in P5 football, some P5 basketballs, uh, NFL and um, NHL, like the, the pros and the people that have more money, they have access to float tanks. Um, mm -hmm. How important is that on helping out with the concussions, CTE, brain health, all of that? That's a good question. Uh, so, so, so when when you look at a concussion, uh, you kind of have to look at, at the two angles, or even backing way way up is understanding the brain and the brain function. Okay. So most of the time, when when we look at the brain, uh, I, I speak with a lot of educators, and and they're supposed to be like the the professional on the brain, right? Like how the brain works, right? That's the organ they work on. 
Okay, so as as a strength and conditioning person, you should be be pretty familiar with muscular anatomy, microanatomy, physiology, all that stuff, right? Teachers should know the brain. Most of the time, they don't, right? Uh, they know the technique of learning, but not necessarily the organ they're working with. So the lectures that I give is let's let's understand the brain so you can adapt your techniques better to that. Um, so, so when we talk about the brain, the, the question I ask is, what is the brain for? What does the brain do? How does it work? All that stuff. And most, almost all the time, uh, the, the, the examples that people give are motor output, speech, thought, movement, uh, all, of this, all of this stuff that the brain puts out. In actuality, the brain is primarily a sensory processing integrator. And so, so th there's, there's 10 times more neurons that go from the thalamus relay station up to the cortex, the thinking part of the brain, than come from the thinking part of the brain back down to the body. So the brain is primarily looking at this sensory input, and based on this sensory input and integrating all of this information, then it gives me this good picture of what is the world around me, what is the external environment, what is the internal environment. Now if I have really good data, now I can process that and create a response to it. Okay? Yeah, let's, let's, yeah keep, keep nerding out on like the brain anatomy with these last like uh, 15, 20 minutes that we got for our listeners out there to, to get a better understanding, like from a, a, a level that a strength coach needs to understand, like talk brain anatomy, talk brain function for them to then be able to go down further rabbit holes and, and dive down more. But like from a decently high level, like what are some of the most important things and locations to help out with that? Yeah, so a couple of the main areas that, that we look at from that impact um, is going to be the cerebellum. Cerebellum is heavily important. We'll, we'll talk about each one of these in a little bit. Uh, the, the prefrontal cortex, the frontal lobes, prefrontal cortex, um, and, then, and then the brain stem, PMRF. Those are kind of like two big vital areas of the brain, especially when it comes to human performance, if you will. Okay? Um, so, so those, those oh, excuse me, those areas are heavily important. And then there's other smaller structures, uh, your midbrain, is heavily involved in eye movements, eye tracking, reflexive eye movements, things like that. Um, but the cerebellum, if you look at the brain, uh, it's, it's divided kind of into two sides, right? And, and we, we're starting to, to understand, okay, left brain controls your right body, right brain controls left body, okay? So uh, as a generality, now there's crosstalk and all that stuff, but, but we found through functional imaging that, that there is more activity in left brain when you're moving your right body. So, so, so the way that, that sensory input from a proprioceptive standpoint comes in, so the muscles, the tendons, the joints, all that information to give you this positional awareness sense uh, comes from my right side of my body into my right cerebellum. Right cerebellum then sends that up into the left brain. Left brain then figures out what's going on, where am I located, what do I need to do, what kind of response, how much motor output do I need to give. Sends, sends a copy down to the body on the right side and then also a copy to the cerebellum to match up the signal of what's coming in versus what's going out to create a, a smooth coordinated movement. Okay, so, so those are cross-talking and then, and then it creates this error detection of, okay, you're undershooting your target, you need to increase that output a little bit more and so, so it's kind of talking together on that, that efferent copy, afferent copy, all that stuff. So, too, too much, sorry. Um, oh, you're good. So, so, so that's so, so that's 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 what we're looking at from from that standpoint. Then, with activity in the left brain, then you increase activity in the left brain stem. 
okay? Your brainstem is, is more of your vital area, so you're talking like heart rate, blood pressure, sweating, all your autonomic functions, so, so all your cardiovascular types of things. So as I increase activity on my right side, now my, now my brain is saying, okay, now I need to increase activity here to control this, I need to make sure I'm coordinating here properly, and oh, by the way, I need more uh, cardiovascular activity over there so that now I can fuel my muscles to do the movement. So it's a fascinating system, like wonderful design. Um, so, so, it's, so it's really cool because our, our body doesn't have enough resources internally to fuel everything at 100% capacity. So, so it creates this ability to regulate and shift where we need it, when we need it, like that. So, so that's what we're looking at. So, so diving into Sam's injury of tearing his ACL, okay? So, so if you lose this perceptual input of, okay, where is my lower extremity located in space? If, if I don't get good sensory, really, really uh, strong, fast signaling going in to the cerebellum, give me exact representation of where my leg is located, then I'm gonna create too much or too little of a motor output, and you're gonna put yourself in a vulnerable position or the muscles aren't going to engage fast enough etc right and so so that's why you're prone to increased lower extremity injuries primarily because the changed sensory input not because his muscle was weak because he had decent rehab like his, his leg was strong it, it was able to handle the types of load that they tested him for but his brain couldn't handle the change in the dynamics of sensory versus motor output so, so that's really from a rehab standpoint of, okay, not just making sure is the leg strong, but is, is the brain adaptable to the sensory input motor output that needs to happen? I think for a lot of our strength coaches that are listening out there like that, that did give a good synopsis, but also just to kind of help tie it together is like, look, <clears throat> in the strength coach world, RPR, signal six, uh, neurology, postural neurology, reflexology, it's all about, again, like you said, better input to the system to drive better output and, and correct that's that that's one of the biggest things that i took away from what you said there correct yeah and that's that's exactly and that's that's really kind of the paradigm shift that that dr carrick really brought around is he coined a term receptors based systems or receptors based therapy right where it's you're you're focused not on um, the motor output, not on um, the, the cognitive output, those types of things. You're focused on what is the sensory input. Now, you can use that motor output for testing purposes of, okay, if I'm not coordinated on this right side, I'm doing finger-nose finger test, and I'm looking like a drunk over here, and then right here, I'm like perfectly accurate. Okay, now that's, that's showing us, okay, maybe we've got some cerebellar issues on the right side, so we need to bias rehabbing the right side, bias integration on that right side. And so, but again, it's not just biasing it from, okay, now we need to work on the motor output on that right side, but we need to work on the sensory input. And so we can use that through uh, the proprioceptive system in the case of the cerebellum, things like that. <clears throat> so go ahead and tease out and talk about the things that you guys have going on over there, because I think it's pretty cool what you've done and just kind of be able to explain it to our strength coaches out there. So that way they could be, you know, advocating to their other high performance team members and athletic trainers and um, sports psychologists, you know, the things that you guys are incorporating out there. Yeah, so, uh, so, so what we've done in part is th there's, there's a whole lot of this is happening over here and this is happening over here and we're getting benefits with this and this mm -hmm. and we're trying to create a complete system for it so that it's not just a, well, we're helping here or helping here or helping here, right? Because 
Um, th there are some areas that are doing really, really, really well with rehabbing a concussion. There are some that are doing a much better job with diagnosing a concussion or baseline testing. Um, there's some fairly standard uh, return to play protocols. And so, so the, the model that we've adopted, uh, we call it our four R's. So it's reduce, that, that's where we ideally want to start athletes, okay? It's like, let's reduce the risk, okay? And there's enough data out there to say that doing neurovisual training, doing neck strengthening, doing these types of things, getting off your phone where you're just here all the time, but now you've got this visual field where you're working here. Don't just sit like this all day where your head's forward, carriage, put it up over the spine where now you have more reactive time. When, when, when your arm is in this range, you have much faster reaction capability, right? Versus if I'm stretched out at my end range. And so, so if you can create that, um, more centralized. So, so that's, that's where reducing the risk uh, is the first R. That's where we want to start. Most athletes don't start there. Most of them start on rehab. Um, and so, because until it's an issue, nobody deals with it. So, but the, the first R is, is um, recognize. The second is reduce, uh, or I'm sorry, reduce, then recognize. So recognize is creating a, a really good baseline. And a lot of the baseline testing that's out there uh, is insufficient or incomplete. Um, or uh, not well structured for an athletic environment. Um, so, so there's some that, that have components on cognitive, some on, on balance, some on uh, ocular motor and eye tracking types of things. Um, and so, so there's some in like all these different areas that you can do. And then the best baseline testing that's out there right now, currently standard wise is the SCAT-5 test. Um, the problem with that is it's bulky, it's hard to perform. You do it one time at the beginning of the season. So you get this one data point at the beginning of the season, whether they have a good day or a bad day. It's not really marked if you do it in the morning versus at night. Um, if you just took a, a big final exam and now you're, you're taking that. Um, so so it's, it's pretty, pretty rigorous, but it's hard to perform in an athletic environment and you get one data point. Uh, and, and then after the first 72 hours, it's the, the data is no longer really valid as far as diagnosing a concussion. Mm -hmm. So it's really supposed to be uh, a sideline type of testing, which again is hard now. It takes about 45 minutes to perform. So you do that on sideline, it's not gonna work very well. Um, so, and, and most of our athletes, if, if you're a high school athlete, but by the time you get into your, your provider, it's your 72 hours out. I mean, Monday morning is when you go in. So. Uh, so, so that's where uh, what we've what we've introduced is is actually uh, an app-based system uh, that we license out from uh, for, that was produced for the NHL primarily, uh, and Dr. Carrick was instrumental in developing this. But it takes seven different um, neurological testing, puts it into an app, and it's gamified. So now you got these high school kids that are already on their phone and they're already playing their games or whatever, and they play these seven different. Uh, games on their phone that measure reaction time, visual processing, eye tracking, uh, cognitive, short-term memory, long-term memory, uh, long-term recall, things like that. Um, and, and so, and then it puts it into this database that, that measures both off of other normative values. And then now if you get them to play multiple times in that first week, you, you play one time a day for a week, different times a day. Now, instead of having one baseline mm -hmm. test, now you have seven baseline tests scattered throughout the day, things like that. So, so it's, it's a much more rigorous. And then it only takes five to 10 minutes after a game Friday night for them to play. So, uh, so, so, so that's kind of that second component. Then the third is the rehab, uh, which, which we do a lot of in person. We do some telehealth with that 
j just to help guide even other practitioners of like, okay, you're working with a vestibular therapist. Uh, we're we're going to tie in some of this ocular motor type stuff that needs to be addressed as well along with that. And then the fourth R is return to play. And that's, that's making sure you're actually recovered, not just no more symptoms, but you're actually recovered and strong enough. And typically if you do the rehab well enough, it, 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 it cuts down the amount of return to play time. So, so you, your symptoms are gone faster. You're able to return sooner uh, because you've done the rehab properly. So, so that's kind of what, what we're doing is trying to address all the areas of a concussion, not just diagnosis or rehab or whatever. I mean, we could talk about this all day, I feel like. And, uh, you know, to our, to our listeners out there, this is, again, we are strength coaches for strength coaches and, you know, branching out with athletic trainers. Um, within the entire high-performance model, these guys, they are working in a clinic right now. They have clients later. Like I said, you have to actually be making your skin in the game and, and you know, make, earning earning your living doing what you do to, to be on the show. So these guys, they got to get back to work. Um I want to appreciate you guys and say thank you for coming on. Uh, why don't you let anybody know where they can follow you more uh, and be able to get in touch uh, after they listen to this episode? Yeah, so we have our, our clinic is in Ankeny, Iowa, uh, suburb of Des Moines. And uh, we have a, our website is lifestreamclinics.com, which I'm sure you can put in the show notes and all that stuff. Um, we're also on Facebook with that. And then uh, we're just launching an online platform where we can, we can provide solutions outside of just this geographic area. And so that is narrowcaresports.com, uh, where we do, uh, right now we're offering baseline testing, virtual baseline testing, where you, where we, um, you get access to that, that programming. Uh, and then we're, we're launching into some telehealth on that platform um, with rehab. And, and then we're working on, on transitioning that neurovisual training onto that platform, but that's gonna take a little bit of time to get there. Appreciate y'all, man. You guys have a good rest of the day, and uh, we'll be in touch. Yeah, sounds, sounds great. great. Thank you. Thanks, Jason.